We're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians, and this morning, as you'll be aware, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This, the whole series is called Authentically Church. So please do open up chapter 3, page 1145 of the Church Bibles. And hopefully it didn't distract you too much during that last song, but you'll see I have four visual aids on the stage this morning to help us remember and to help us work through this passage. So the first one representing infants. The second one representing planting. The third one representing building. This is actually a doll's house from Tots and Toys, but this is the best I could do. And lastly, the cross. So four visual aids that we'll be working through this morning. We're going to begin with the first four verses when we learn or when the picture is that of infants. So verse three, sorry, chapter three, verse one. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Paul is now really beginning to address the difficulties and the factions in the church in Corinth more directly. And he is, going to be, he is going to bring some considerable challenges. And yet look at how he begins this chapter. Brothers and sisters. Do you see that language of family? Brothers and sisters. He's assuring them of his love for them. The rebuke that, that will come, will come in the context of deep love. In fact, more than that, it's because of his deep love, because of his deep care for them that he's prepared to, to speak or to write challenging words. I was at a leadership conference a few years ago, and a very experienced pastor was speaking to, to a group of us who are pastors. And he reminded us that for every one warning that we give, for every one, don't do that, we, 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 need to, we might need to say to someone, we might need to have said at least 10, we love you, we care for you. I see God at work in this area of your life growing you. And that's always stuck in my mind. One of my friends who's a, a pastor moved churches recently. He, moved, uh, he took a job as a, as a pastor in another part of the UK. And I asked him how it was going in the, in the early months of being at his new church. And he said to me, well, we're well, thank you. Lots of things need a bit of change in the church. But we can't do that until they know that I love them. We can't do that until I, they know that I love them. So I'm focusing on preaching, prayer, and loving them well. And here at Cornerstone, there are times when we as pastors and as elders need to challenge us all as a church and even bring challenge to individuals. So please know that when we do speak difficult words, as from time to time we do, 
it's because we as pastors love God's flocks at Cornerstone. Our brothers and sisters, if we didn't love you so much, then we'd just give nice platitudes all year round. But we love you. So we will do our best to speak the truth in love. And Paul goes on in these verses. Really, he, he compares the, the Corinthian church to squabbling toddlers. They were quarreling, jealous, immature. We saw in chapter one a few weeks ago, didn't we, how they formed competitive cliques and were promoting personalities. They thought they were really mature, but spiritually speaking, they were still in nappies. They thought they were deeply spiritual. But Paul says, just look at what you're doing. You're just like those in the culture around you. You think you're mature, you think you understand the deep, solid things of God, but but really you're just like an infant. You're just on the milk of the basics. You're infants, and yet you think you're so grown up, but you're being like the rest of the world. You think you're so super spiritual. And there are times in the life of churches when we would do well to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Firstly, are we living like squabbling infants or mature grown-ups? And secondly, are we living like the world or are we living like God's people in Christ? And we can all fall into those traps, myself and any other leader included. So that's why we always need to be returning to the transforming power of the cross. That's what Paul has concentrated on in the first two chapters. The cross which forgives and changes us. So that's the first picture, that of infants. And in the verses that follow, Paul changes the word picture, the metaphor, the image, from referring to them as infants to referring, referring them as plants, which is slightly more complementary, uh, but only just. And as he does so, he focuses more on the role of leaders, such as himself and Apollos. Verse 5, follow along with me. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. There's no point trying to push leaders forward into prominence or to compete in popularity, because after all, what are leaders? Leaders are only servants. And I think, to be honest, when a leader themselves or when a church forgets that leaders are servants, then, then that is when the problems really do begin. Do you know what the word minister means? It means servant in Latin. I'm the lead minister at Cornerstone. That doesn't mean... I'm the CEO, 
I'm not the top of the tree. I'm not the big cheese, the supremo. I'm not chauffeured around. I don't have music when I come in and everyone applauding me. <laughs> it means I'm the lead servant. And all leaders have their assigned task. In Corinth, Paul, do you see that there? He planted the seed of the good news in the city. We saw that at the start of the term, Acts 18, how that happened. And then after Paul left, after 18 months, Apollos was ready to water that seed and to follow, it, follow them up. And actually, you might even remember, I know we didn't, we didn't get to this bit in Acts 18, but if you read on in Acts 18, that Apollos, even he was only ready for what he was able to do because Priscilla and Aquila, they had explained the way of God more adequately to him. The Lord has assigned to each their task. To put it in more modern, modern language, teamwork makes the dream work, as one of my daughters once told me. Teamwork makes the dream work. Plants need planting and watering. One without the other is useless. But actually it's more than just teamwork. It's that God gives the growth. And so God should give the glory it's because it's all of him. Have a look at verse 7 again with me. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. All of which means, do you see then, we shouldn't put too much store on human leaders, myself included, however gifted or prominent they may be. And if we, if we really take these verses to heart, then there's no place for, for competition between churches or ministries or pastors. After all, what, what are we? We're just farmhands, servants. And our reward, our recognition is primarily in the future, verse 8. And I think, again, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, too much recognition for leaders in this life, then that, in my observation, just seems to lead to difficulty for, for leaders and for churches. And in, yet, did you see, in the midst of all this, we need to keep hold of the fact that God does invite us to play a part in all that he's doing. God gives the growth. But he asked Apollos and Paul to play their part. And he asked Priscilla and Aquila and Timothy and Sosthenes and loads of others to play their part. Fellow workers in God's service. And so too for, for us as we've been highlighting in recent weeks. God invites all of us to be part, to play a part of all that he is doing. For us at the moment in, in Cornerstone, we're summarizing, summarizing this, as you'll see on the way in and you'll see on that banner over there. God is gathering, giving, growing, going. God is doing all of this. And he's inviting you and me to play a part together in it. And today because of the plant metaphor, I just want to share more about the, the growing element and if I can extend that seed and plant metaphor a little bit more. Our prayer, our prayer is that 
for the cornerstone plant for, for us, this church, to continue to grow actually into a healthy, healthy tree. Couldn't fit a tree on the stage this morning, but, or lift it more to the point. But our prayer is for Cornerstone to continue to grow into a healthy tree in the years and the decades that are ahead. Now, I, I don't really know what the years and what the decades ahead will hold for our world, our country, our city. Maybe you saw the, the comment from the leading financier, I think it was yesterday, who said that, that the, the world faces more instability than it has in decades. I don't know what, what is in store for us in the coming years and decades. But I do know that God is growing this church and many others to be a tree a tree that withstands the storms. A tree that can give shade in the heat of the day. A tree that can give shelter that people can run to. To be a tree that bears fruit, fruit that lasts, fruit that nourishes and brings healing and brings life. And I believe that God is growing this church to be that kind of tree. How? Well, you might have guessed it, deeper roots, stronger branches. Deeper roots that, that press down to find water. Deeper roots that establish security. Deep roots in God's word. Deep roots that's, that go deep into God's word to understand who we are as human beings, to see who we're created to be, and to see how that shapes our work, our purpose, our sexuality, gender, marriage, identity, to see how that shapes our communities, our technological developments, to see how that, that shapes and transforms how we relate across ethnic and cultural di differences. And in all of this and more, not just relying on a, on, a, on a Bible verse here or there, but deeply knowing the scriptures, knowing, knowing the big picture, like we sang about in that, we think of that song as a kid's song. That talks about the big picture of the Bible and how it all points to God's purposes, how they're fulfilled in Christ, and why why? Because, because, brothers and sisters, we will need those deep roots to strengthen our branches for the years and the decades ahead. Already as we look around the world, we see, even in just these, just these last couple of years, we see conflicts and wars multiplying, some which hit the headlines, some which don't. Elsewhere, rampant individualism is starting, is starting to bear its bitter fruit. Humanity's failure to care for creation is having terrible effects through climate change and other things. And we're rapidly losing any sense of, 
of who we are as human beings, of how to live and to die well, of who we are made in the image of God. And I don't think that you need to tell, that I need to tell you that, that all of this results in a broken, fallen world, which is, which is a right mess, which is devastating the lives of so many people. And so people are longing for healing and hope. People are seeking shelter. People are needing compassion and care. Brothers and sisters, God is growing us to be a people and a place where those who are hurting can come and find the compassion and the mercy of God in a messed up world. And we will only be that kind of tree together with strong branches to provide shelter, with branches that can stand in storms, with branches that bear fruit that nourishes And we will only be people of lasting compassion. Lasting compassion. If we have deeper roots. Roots that give real clarity about what the Bible teaches. And I truly believe that that we will only have lasting compassion for a messy world for complex situations, for hurting people, if we have those deep roots that come through God's word. You know, compassion and clarity are not not opposite ends of the spectrum. They're not one alternative or another. Sometimes it's presented like that. Either you can be truthful or you can be loving. You can be clear or you can be compassionate. No. We speak the truth and live the truth in love. And I'm not pretending that's easy. It's it's really not. It's very complex. But that's the point. We need God-given wisdom. And only those deeper roots will give us the lasting compassion the hope for a hurting world. Only those deeper roots will enable us over years and decades to minister, to serve in messy situations. Deeper roots. Stronger branches. And in verses 10 to 17... The word picture moves on again from a plant or a tree, as I've described it, to a building. Verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw... 
Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. The church is a house, says Paul, constructed using all kinds of building materials. Paul was the expert builder who laid the foundation himself when he preached the good news about Jesus to the Corinthians. And ever since, anyone who has led or preached who has built on that foundation has been building on the foundation which is Jesus Christ. And each preacher, each leader needs to build with care. If they've preached Christ, if they've loved others, if they've strived to maintain unity, if they've walked with the Spirit, then when the fiery day of judgment comes, their work will be shown for what it is. Building up God's people and will be recognized as such. They'll hear those words of well done, good and faithful servant. And yet, if preachers and leaders have built carelessly, then it's a different outcome. If they've led for their own glory rather than Christ's. If they've served themselves rather than others. If they've preached the way of the world rather than the way of the cross. If they've led with pride rather than served with humility. If they've been competitive and divisive, then so too that work will be shown to be what it truly is. Sometimes actually that does happen before the day of judgment, but even if it doesn't, it will one day be shown for what it is. The builder will be saved, but only like one being saved from a burning house. And a fire metaphor here is the kind of fire that tests the quality of work. Here, specifically in building the church, revealing it for what it truly is. Careful or careless. And the metaphor evolves from building, from building to temple in verses 16 to 17. Did you just have a look at down at those verses again? The very serious consequences for those who destroy the church where God is present in his people. The church, they're not talking about buildings, but about God's people. And rightly, such verses are very sobering for preachers and leaders and pastors like me. Our former senior pastor, Peter Lewis, used to say, Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, and on him alone we build. And long may that be said and lived here in this church. And again, God gives us all a role to play as he builds his church. We're actually called Cornerstone Church because of some verses in 1 Peter 2 that are reflecting back on some verses we read earlier and elsewhere. 1 Peter 2 says this, verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Do you see the picture there? Stones being built together to form a spiritual house built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. But we're all called to be part of God's great building project. If you've ever come along to Connect Central, then there's one week that I lead usually that we do a tour of the building in. And you'll have heard that I tell the story, um, which you're about to hear again, uh, of uh, the, in the 15th century of a huge block of white marble that was quarried out of some mountains in northern Italy. It weighed over a tonne, and this block of marble measured more than five metres in length. And this great marble block was transported to Florence, one of the important and richest cities in Italy at the time. And here it was taken to the workshop of a famous sculptor named Duccio. He had been commissioned by the city council to carve a a giant figure from this uh, slab of marble. But unfortunately, during an early part of the process, and, and perhaps because the marble wasn't of great, as good a quality as it might have been, it was damaged at its center so that it was impossible for this sculptor to carve this giant figure as he had planned. And sadly, the block was covered up, left to stand against a wall near the cathedral. And over the coming decades, many sculptors, well known in their day, visited what became known as this Duccio block. And they carefully looked at it from all angles, hoping to find some way of carving a figure out of it whilst also cutting out the the, the part of the stone that was damaged. All to no avail. And they complained that the marble was of poor quality. In the early 16th century, however, the great Michelangelo came and studied this block closely. And as he stood before this great lump of marble, he looked carefully and he realized that he, with care, could just about carve a human body. And so he got to work, carving a figure that would perfectly represent one famous biblical story, David, who had defeated the Philistine giant Goliath. Three years later, the sculpture was finished and put on display in the city. Well, do you see what had happened? This marble block which other experts had rejected as useful had become the basis of one of the world's great masterpieces. Why? How? Because it was in the hands of a master craftsman. And friends, that is a picture of what God has done and is doing. And we pray we'll do in the future in hundreds, probably thousands now of lives in Cornerstone. As God takes our lives, however messed up, however broken, however hurting, as he takes our lives, however useless we may feel, but in the hands of of a master craftsman, the master craftsman. He takes our lives and turns them into a masterpiece. 
something beautiful for his glory, for our good and for his purposes in the life of the world. And you may be here this morning thinking that your, your life is too mediocre. That your marble is too, of too poor quality or has been too deeply damaged to be of use to God. And maybe other people have told you that. No. Remember that your life is in the hands of a master craftsman, the master craftsman. And he gives you a part to play in his great building project for the life of the world. And all that we've looked at this morning makes it clear that it was ridiculous for the Corinthians to be boasting about leaders and forming competitive cliques. How foolish to just be acting like the world around them. They're Christ's. Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. And so our fourth visual aid this morning is the cross. And if our way and our wisdom is that of the cross, rather than the way and the wisdom of the world, then we will be grown-ups, not infants. We'll be growing deeper roots, stronger branches. We'll be part of God's great building project. Not of bricks and mortar, steel, but of men, women, children. And we'll be humbled as we realize the part that God has invited us to play, even us, in all he's doing. Of course, that's not always easy or comfortable. Maturing takes time. Growing pains are real. Building is costly. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis describes the surprises that God gives us when he starts making changes in our lives. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. and doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he doing? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards, 
you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is making a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Let's bow our heads as we pray. And in the silence, bring before the Lord how you feel about your marble block. And ask him as the master craftsman to make something beautiful. Lord, we praise you that you have not abandoned this hurting world. But that you have begun your plan of reconciliation in Christ. Lord, that you have included us. You've given us a part to play. So, Lord, take our lives however damaged, however useless we may feel. Make them into something beautiful. Thank you for including us in Christ, including us in your purposes. Lord, we look forward to your return when you make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus.